0: This podcast is brought to you by Business Radio, powered by Wharton.
1: From the campus of the University of Pennsylvania Wharton School, this is Work of Tomorrow on Business
0: Radio. Here's your host, Christian Tervish.
2: Welcome to Work of Tomorrow on Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School. I'm your host, Christian Tervish, and we are here for for you every Monday night at 5 p.m. Eastern with replays happening throughout the week. Now, technology buzzwords such as the Internet of Things, digitization, artificial intelligence, or robotics have moved from R&D labs to the boardrooms and government agencies alike. There exists wide agreement that these technologies will fundamentally change the way we work, but we really don't know what our work of tomorrow will look like. Already, companies such as Amazon have revolutionized retailing, Uber is disrupting personal uh, transportation, and many more things are happening What we want to do in this show is to explore how work will change in times of globalization and digitization, hence the title, The Work of Tomorrow. In each show, I will talk with leaders from a specific industry and get their insights on what is happening today in the industry and how things are changing in the future. Now, with all the talk about technologies, it's kind of easy to lose track of the purpose of our work. In one way or the other, all of us are working to fulfill the needs and desire of our customers. But what do our customers want? How can we use technology to create better user experience and not about just making things cheaper and more automated? The topic of our show today is using technology to create new user experiences. To help us explore this topic, I have two wonderful guests. Uh, in the first half of the show, I will be speaking to Eric Mertz, who is a creative producer at Universal Orlando, who is, among other things, in charge of the guest experience. In the second char- part of the show, we will talk to Nick Franklin. Nick is the Executive Vice President of Strategic Operations at KB Home, but before that was Executive Vice President of Next Generation Experiences at Disney. I also am happy to welcome here in the studio my friend, colleague, and co-author, Dr. Nikolai Ziegelkow. Who is a renowned expert on strategy and innovation? Welcome to you all. Hey, hello. Hey, Eric. Good to reconnect. Um, now, Eric, uh, tell us about uh, your work at uh, Universal these days. What uh, what exactly is is your responsibility, and how did you end up in this job?
0: Uh, sure. My um, my role is as a uh, producer is uh, you know, on the creative leadership side uh, for attraction development. So um, I'm responsible. Uh, for ensuring that the creative vision of a project is is delivered, we have other project managers, leaders, project directors, and so forth that handle more of the um, project management type things, uh, the the drawings, um, uh, getting the uh, um, government approvals uh, like such as building codes, or project managers um, that that handle a much more detailed overview of the the business management of a project, but for the producer's side, it's very much about the creative delivery and ensuring that the guest experience um, meets the, uh, the expectations of the project. Uh, in particular, the project that I'm working on right now, um, we have a, a very high-profile intellectual property partner. Um, and when you have a partner, such as previous uh, attractions that we've done before, such as Harry Potter or um, uh, Transformers or um, uh, Men in Black or any of these very, very popular um, pop culture icons, you you add in a layer of complexity because there's an intellectual intellectual property partner who also has a vested interest in the success of this product. So not only for us at Universal does the project have to go well for us and be um, a a commercial success, but also the IP partner sees the success of that project as a direct reflection on their product and their brand. So, to, long story short, as a as a producer, we're we're supposed to be the the shepherds of that trust and and champion the the creative vision of the project.
2: Now, being a Harry Potter fan that I am, um, help me tell help me understand how the kind of digital technology will uh, make me get to know Albus Dumbledore more personally or get me kind of more connected to a broomstick. Uh, what is it that has changed over the last 10, 15 years now that you can do with technology to enhance and augment the guest experience that you couldn't do before?
0: Uh, well, the interactivity is, a, is a, a very big part of what not just Universal but the, the um, themed entertainment industry is, is pursuing. Uh, quite aggressively um interactivity in in particular allows people to have very personalized um uh, human moments in the in the in their experience where they feel like they have some agency in in their experience you know early days of attractions you know you would basically just uh, go on the ride you know, enjoy the experience and then step off of it. But you really didn't have a role in that experience. And you mentioned, you know, uh, Albus Dumbledore as, as somebody that, that you would like to have an interaction with. Um, so, like, in our Diagon Alley uh, attraction that, that was our most recent Harry Potter attraction added at the Universal Orlando Resort, we have an area um, where you can actually interact directly with uh, a, uh, a Gringotts bank teller. So it feels very much personalized. It feels very much like you're having a uh, human interaction with this goblin. Um, and uh, and it, it allows the guests to sort of be on stage for, for a moment of time and uh, feel like they're part of that story.
3: I like the human interaction with the goblin. We have ah. plenty of goblins <laughs> around here, I tell you that. <laughs> Hi, Eric. It's Nikolai. Hi, hey, uh, how are you? Uh, Great to reconnect. Um Tell us a bit more. I mean, this is really fascinating about uh, you know creating a sense of agency in terms uh, for the visitor and making that visitor experience more personalized. Um, mm. What is what are some other ideas that 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 you're working on or have implemented already on kind of creating this you know customer segment of one in some sense?
0: Sure, it's it's a real challenge in uh, in this industry <coughs> because to. to because basically our product is a mass audience product. When you when you look at you know Disney, Universal, um, SeaWorld, Lego, Six Flags, all of these these companies that, that have you know millions of, of customers come through their parks, um, to to be able to provide that one to one connection with. Um, uh, with the guests really is that challenge and and historically the way that that's been done in the past has been you know a few select guests might be chosen in a in a large audience show or um in the case of like character meet and greets they they would have a few moments in time with with their favorite character to talk but again that 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 required some either luck on the part of the guest or some uh, amount of uh, Sort of boldness on the part of the guest to, to be willing to approach a character like that, and not not all people are that uh, sort of bold in in doing that, but that doesn 't mean that they want that that real human connection any less so so again, the challenge for us is to to figure out. How how we can do that? So one of the things like, like uh, uh, that Disney had had done recently, and when you talk to um, Nick Franklin, who uh, who I used to uh, work in his organization way back when, um, he can share more about this. But one of the great things about the Magic Band technology that was developed and, and is is in operation right now, is that it allows it allows the park to recognize each guest as an individual and each guest. Uh, with that comes uh, an understanding of what each guest's preferences are so even in some attractions at Disney when uh when guests are riding it and they're wearing this RFID wristband that's now um like uh, ubiquitous in in the the Walt Disney World uh resort um it it serves a, a lot of utility it it's, it serves as their payment it serves as their uh their resort ticket it serves it provides certain entitlements such as their um, their ride return or fast pass return times, but because it also identifies them as as individuals on certain attractions the the ride will actually detect these people that are on there, and they'll present different material to the guests that is personalized to them so they feel like the 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 whole attraction or at least part of the attraction is responding directly in a special way because they're there not not the same experience for everybody but something uh, personalized and uh, and and very unique just for them.
3: Interesting. Yeah. Now coming back to kind of you said you know we, we are part of the you know creative team at at, at Universal and um, just wondering how are you using that information that you're gathering you know from your from your uh, guests to think about new attractions. Um, mm. Um, you know, can walk us a little bit through kind of that because I, my my sense is more and more information is now available from our customers to us, and that may actually help us think about you know what new attractions, for instance, we should put into our parks or other amenities to put in our parks.
0: Yeah, one of the the latest things that Universal did is uh, Universal um, this year opened their third theme park here. Um, it's uh, a water park. Uh, called Volcano Bay. Um, we actually refer to it as a theme park um, rather than a water park because there actually are attractions and rides. It's uh, what we believe is a full-day resort experience. Um, but with that, we introduced a new wristband technology. Um, the, the park has a tropical theme to it, and uh, the, the wristband is called Tapu Tapu which um, has uh, an RFID uh, um, technology in it, also a longer-range um, uh, uh, two-way communication, uh, and a little screen on it that every guest gets as, as they come into the park. And what this does effectively is it personalizes their day to the attractions that they want to go see. So unlike um, uh, like FastPass or, or uh, other types of ride-wait-time systems, this one responds in real time to to the uh, the rides the the water attractions that you want to go on so if um, uh, basically you're free to enjoy your day as you'd like lounging by the the, the the, um Lazy River or having something to eat, and the band will tell you when, when your ride is ready to go. And uh, even if your ride is, is available to you sooner than you had originally had planned, so you'll get real-time communications on that, and then you effectively can go straight to the attraction and have a much shorter wait-time experience. So you're not spending your day waiting in lines. You've you've sort of expressed your preferences up front. The system knows that. It monitors that, and it creates for a very um, hassle-free experience um, Experience when you when you enjoy it, and so far so far it's well received. It's a it was a big challenge for Universal to do this, and uh, it took uh, basically a, an army of very technical people, uh, industrial engineers, um, to to really sort through the the logistics of how to manage um, in real time such a large group of people, and uh, they um, the, um, the experience just keeps getting better and better as they learn more and, and refine the algorithms that, that direct people.
2: How do you elicit the preferences of what I should be doing or what I want to be doing next? I mean, so you say like the band is giving me some guidance. It basically protects me from waiting but somewhere you need to know about my personal preferences is this something that you got from past interactions with me or is there at some point like a very clear market research types of elicitation of preferences do you like quick rides or do you like wet rides Uh, how how do you find out about, about my needs
0: um, there's, there's less of that, uh, for the most part, uh, in a lot of these experiences, uh, you can, you can infer certain data, but for the most part, when guests are, are, are going to a park, um, they're, they're very deliberate about the, the types of experiences that they want. So even with this technology, there's multiple different ways that, that guests can express their interest in it. You know, they can go through the universal app, they can engage with the team members when they arrive and the team members have, uh, 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 different tablets that they can interface and update preferences with. So, so there's really multiple choices for for a guest to uh, to um, to do that. One of the nice things about these technologies too, and about um, identifying um, the guests as individuals, so that when an inv- individual comes up to a team member and can present their their tapu tapu band. Um, or at Disney with the uh, the Magic Band that right? the the, uh, the Disney cast members um, have uh, tablets there that 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 can read the bands. The nice thing about that is that in that moment, um, as soon as the the guest is identified, then the system can immediately present to the team members at Universal or the cast members at Disney uh, previous information about this guest uh, in a very quick digestible manner, so that the the um, the team member or cast member can respond in a much more personalized way rather than having to ask a whole bunch of questions about their day, their experience, what they like, how many times they've been to the park, what their interests were, if they had good experiences, bad experiences. They, the, the team members can see it all in a dashboard. And what's what's also interesting about this is it's something that in the theme park industry is has been uh, a challenge uh, in, in providing guest service because if you compare the the physical theme park experience of actually being in a park versus like the the process of planning a, a vacation um, when During the planning cycle, when, when people are exploring online and, and looking at the different parks, all of those clicks, all of those selections, those are all tracked, and they, they inform the website on how to respond and, and offer up the right information, and, and the more guests are engaged in that online process – the more we get to know those guests, the more we get to know, like, the ages of of their their children, so we can offer up, you know, things that that would be of interest to them. So it's a really dynamic one-to-one interaction. Now, contrast that when they get to the theme park, after they've had this really rich, personalized experience, they get into the parks, and typically today, they're anonymous to the operators. You know, they're just people coming through, and as much as You know, through customer service and training, you try to create those human moments and and engage with them. You still don't know enough about them. And that's where, as an industry, we're hoping that these technologies that allow us and the supporting systems um, to know more about the guests as they approach, as they engage in our attractions, as they engage with the team members directly.
2: In case you're just tuning in, you're listening to Work of Tomorrow here on Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School. I'm your host, Christian Terwish, and I have the pleasure of chatting with uh, Eric Mertz, who is a creative producer at Universal Orlando, where he's, among other things, in charge of the guest experience. So we've talked already about Goblins and uh, the good old Gringotts Bank. Um, what I, as an operations professor, notice, and pardon to divert for a moment, but we have joined a food co op uh, fairly recently, and they just send you kind of vegetables that whatever they harvest, they just send it to you basically on their schedule as opposed to you picking from a list of menu items. Mm. And so I, I cannot help but observe a similar setting in your case, right? So rather than asking the the guests and the theme park, hey, Christian, like what do you want to write on next. <laughs> You basically have an additional degree of freedom to route the guests, not just where it's best for the guests, but to some extent you can also load balance the roller coaster rides. You can use the lounge to kind of keep some inventory of people waiting. Tell us more about those kind of those efficiency benefits that you've gotten out of the new technology.
0: Well, I think I think what you're talking about there is, is really one of the advantages for both the, uh, the guest and the operator. Uh, you know, typically people sort of... Schedule their day uh, around their meals, and uh, when you're when you're thinking about lunch in particular, usually the parks are, are pretty well at capacity at midday, and when everybody's getting hungry around the same time and and uh, descending on the the uh, already overtaxed food locations, uh, it can create a, a really um, uh, forgive the pun distasteful experience because you know you have to. It's one thing to be hungry, but to have to wait while you're hungry is the worst. So when when planning their day, you know, going online or uh, Disney's app, in particular the the um, Magic Band and My Magic Plus, um, th- what they've done very skillfully is is be able to look at all the people who are planning their day and especially planning their dining times, and the system recommends times outside of the normal lunchtime. So I mean, when they assign fast passes for, for the guests, uh, oftentimes they'll assign a certain block of them during that noontime hour. So the guests are happy because they've, they've got their express uh, opportunity to go right onto the attraction. But what they probably don't realize is that by doing that, they're, they're being pushed either earlier or later on their dining, which levels out the capacity at the, at the restaurants. So this is a lot of the, the stuff that goes on Kind of behind the scenes that that the guests are, are unaware of, but overall it, it it makes the the day feel a lot less encumbered, and uh, same thing true with with the um, uh, attraction wait times uh, and the uh, the fast pass and at Universal the the express pass where where guests can either reserve their attractions ahead of time or or pay for a premium service that that gets them through a, a different express line, and in both cases there, there are different business models, but they allow the park uh, overall and the underlying systems to to help manage the load of people um, through throughout the day.
3: Neat. Now, Eric, as as we learn more and more about our customers and provide these uh, you know more customized experiences during the day, have you found that there is a certain trade-off that you have to make? That not every customer wants to be known. Not every customer feels really comfortable with having that. Uh, Goblin, say, t- "Oh, hi, Christian. Oh, hi, Nikolai. How are you? Like, how did you know? It's me. Um, wh- what are your sort of experiences around kind of finding that right balance, which I could imagine is very much specific to to the customer to the visitor?
0: Yeah, I mean, it's an important thing because, like, uh, familiarization um, with a stranger is is kind of inherently creepy. Like, if if somebody <laughs> somebody you don't know presents themselves as knowing you or knowing your name, all of that, it's, it, it really, it's, it, it can be awkward. Now, now, some people lean into that. Some, some people are, are perfectly comfortable and want to step forward and, and engage, like with the with the bank teller uh, directly. But even when we design those attractions, we, we design them in such a way. Like even in that bank room where you can have that one to one interaction with the with the goblin, there also is a row in the back for people who kind of don't want to be in the spotlight and can be can can step back out of it. So we're certainly mindful of that. I, th- I think uh, another aspect of your your question is also just people's comfort with how much do you know about me and and what are you doing with this this data and uh that you know interesting like early on you know when like uh, and again Nick will, will share more of this but early on even with the the next gen and the my magic plus project you know back in the Early to mid 2000s, we were asking what seems like crazy questions. Now, like like really, do we really think everybody is going to have a cell phone with them when they go to the park? And which sounds ridiculous now when you think about it. Like I carry two phones with me all the time. <laughs> so um so I just I think society as a whole, and I'm not the first to say this, obviously, it just seems to be getting more comfortable with the uh, the information that's that's out there, especially when they see a benefit that comes back to them. Uh, for it, so that that really is the trade-off. I mean, if 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 it feels one-sided for the guests, if it feels like like um, the the company or the service provider is really taking advantage of that information, then then I think the the, the company's crossed the line. But as long as that that benefit either in in service or experiences there I, I really don't see it as much of an issue in fact i think i think guests are even more willing now than say 5 years ago to uh, to offer up more information in the in the expectation that they'll get a better experience for it
2: so how do you weave together multiple individual user experiences to like a deeper relationship between myself and harry potter so is to what extent is the park boundary a boundary also in the digital world uh, or is there something that goes on well outside the boundaries before I come to this park in my regular life? Is there some other interface that keeps me connected with you guys while I'm going through my day-to-day job and life?
0: Yeah, that's, that's the real challenge, and uh, in maintaining that engagement um, uh, after the experience is um, – is is certainly a challenge some people will even you know download you know the the disney app or the universal app you know prior to their uh trip you know in in expectation and excitement and and part of their planning process use it during their experience and then and then dump the app afterwards and that's something that we're really trying to to as an industry um work on quite a bit with engagement uh, I keep coming back to disney but i'll just their their photopath system is is a really good uh, way that they have have been able to maintain enge- engagement with guests um, after their visit. so as, as guests explore the parks and, and have their photos collected over over time, um, the, those photos are available for for months and if, uh, for a fee, I think you can even extend that longer so that so that guests can revisit those photos, decide to make a purchase later on if they want. But at least it, it gives a reason to keep that app on their phone, or to keep that engagement with the brand, and hopefully encourage repeat visitation. And that's that's where we'd like to go. If we can if we can continue to to keep um, our guests connected, not just with us, but with our stories, um, in a meaningful way after their visit then then our, our belief is that that will encourage them to come back and, and enjoy those experiences or get excited about new offerings that we have.
2: So interesting, right? So the revenue model is, and I don't say this in any way negatively, right? But it's entirely a PAC based revenue model, right? It's basically saying, like, well, look, we're going to capitalize on the deeper connectivity by having Christian come back in three years or in, in four years. So he comes back as opposed to selling through other channels or selling his data to other companies or – Offering them micro episodes of service for the, which they pay on a use page mm. By and large, your revenue model is a park-based one.
0: Yeah, for the most part, at least at least now. But there, there's other aspects of it too, especially for a company like Universal that you know is so. Well, I mean, Disney as well, but but Universal is, you know, leverages so many of its own like film franchises. Like, we have a new Fast and Furious attraction that, that opened at Universal Hollywood several years ago and is about to open here in Universal Orlando. That's tied to a very popular film f- franchise with very recognizable characters, celebrities like Vin Diesel, and, and it has a fan base. So when you look, and uh, Nikolai, I know you cringe when we always say the word synergy, but... I'll, I'll go with it. Like when we talk about synergy at a big corporation, and we we really mean it, and we really look at how our film franchises, um, our, our television uh, programs, and uh, and then the parks the, uh, themselves can all work together. So as we're starting to get these these um, these technologies. Uh, You know, more commonplace, more readily consumable, more accessible to guests in in a in a way that they see value, then we can as a as a corporation we can look at how we can leverage these these things. Uh, more successfully uh, across other franchises. Uh, Universal Games, for example, just just released a wildly popular uh, um, uh, video game on the Minions, and uh, that tied in very beautifully with the opening of our new Minions attraction at at Universal Japan and the very popular Minions attractions at at our other parks as well. So where we can do that and where we can uh, let these technologies maintain that engagement um, in a way that's relevant when they're away from the parks um will hopefully help bring them back to the parks and what i mean by that is like like it's not really relevant to tell people the wait times on the minions attraction you know two months after their vacation i mean they're that doesn't do anything for them however being able to maintain that engagement by showing them you know there's a new minions game that they can play or a new minions film coming out then they stay engaged in that in that storyline, and then when um, they've enjoyed those things and and some time has gone by, it it um, re-engages them to come back to the parks.
3: Great, Eric. Um, That was a great example of actual synergies, not just (laughs) purported synergies. He didn't give Uh, you the Professor
2: Snape look (laughs) when you said synergy.
3: Um, But just just probing along that line a little bit longer and and, and thinking a little bit about sort of the information flows, right? So there are certain information flows from from customers to you at the park. There are information flows that you're, um, uh, you know, Video game division gets their information flows through through the um, attendees of, of movie theaters. Um, how do you manage these information flows inside uh, Universal?
0: Uh, wow, that's that's a interesting thing, and I and I, I have to confess a bit as as a, a creative producer focused on a specific IP, I'm I'm actually not in, involved uh, directly uh, operationally in and those those types of things. You, usually, our focus is. is Figuring what we can feed into the pipeline creatively, and uh, and then our industrial engineering, our marketing teams, you know, they they really look at, at how to how to manage that. Um, I I could give you an example that I did have uh, uh, at my previous um, uh, employer, which was Carnival Cruise Line. Um, Carnival Corporation um, at the time had just I think just over a hundred ships. And they were working really closely or starting to work closely with Microsoft on on big data analytics and seeing because a, a cruise ship is, is a, a terrific environment um, where it's, it's very unique as far as vacations go. Because when, when you think about it in, in a cruise, what other vacation does every single person at your hotel start their vacation on the same day and end their vacation on the same day? And you basically know exactly where they're going, which is the port of call, what the activities are for that day. So it's it's a very, although it feels for the guests that they have lots of options, and they do, it's also very structured for the operator. So they can really dive into those experiences and learn more about the guests. And, um, you know, we were looking at, like, you know, the big uh, data uh, analytics software, like at the time, like Hadoop and and other other technologies, to really see where are the patterns, where are the trends, where are the, where are the efficiencies that we can we can find in this, you know, some of the things that that just historically over time have have always seemed like, oh, like like I guess really like the buffets, and and they they certainly do. We started to through analytics start learning that like some really boutique and and niche. Uh, dining experiences which had always sort of been shied away from because of the cost we realized we could actually introduce those for uh, even even a premium fee and it was it was a good experience for the guests because they were getting something that they really wanted and through all of this analytics we can really get a sense of okay well how many people do we need to serve this uh like how do we manage provisioning of the ship you know so we don't have spoilage of food that's that's there over time so it's it's very very complex um uh, a set of data and a, an overwhelming um, uh, amount of data and so using some of these new tools you can really really start to slice it and, and determine like where where your opportunities are
2: Eric, uh, one last question on the the future of all of this. If uh, I come back in five years, ten years from now, what would be the closest to riding a broomstick? I mean, so we talked about analyzing big data and and, and slicing it, and I can see all of that. But what do you see in terms of robotics, in terms of augmented reality? What will really blow me away in five or ten years from now?
0: Well, I think you you, you nailed it. Like, like when you talk about um, augmented reality and uh, uh, you know virtual virtual reality as a predecessor to augmented reality is is, is a more mature, but it seems silly to even refer to it in those terms because they're all just so new within the past couple of years and the the progress that they're making. Um, I, I really think there's like augmented reality in particular, and and you know Google started down that path a while ago with. A, Google Glass that didn't really take on too well, but then you see companies like Magic Leap in South Florida that I don't know how much they're they're funded now, something like a billion dollars or so. Um, that that's really aggressively going after that sort of real time presentation of, of information and and, and data to, to help inform people. I mean, it, it's hard to imagine a world without Google Maps or you know, and, and uh the the things that we just take for granted right now. And I, I think I think the the real time use of of data without sort of going through a cumbersome interface like a, a keyboard or things like that are, are really are really what's what's on the horizon and I, and I hope so because I, I think it'll it'll keep people more present in their environment rather than distracted by their devices. I think that's one of the challenges too. Also in in the parks. Uh, it, um, Entertainment experience in particular, because although the phones do provide uh, a lot of utility and and they can they can help you know streamline your your day and help you plan ahead, it's really important to, that in the theme parks in particular, you know it is a physical experience. It, it, you know that's why people do what they why they go to these places. They want to step into that world and feel like they're a part of it. Like you mentioned, you want to feel like. You you know you're hopping on a, a broomstick and and flying and playing Quidditch like like Harry Potter, so we we endeavor to do that and we endeavor to do that with projection and 3D and and wind effects and audio effects, but it needs to feel real. So um, the, the best thing that we can do, uh, I guess, and I think we all in the industry feel this thing, if we're really successful with the technology, you never see the technology. The technology disappears.
2: Says Eric Merritt, a creative producer at Universal Orlando. We need to take a short break now. When we come back from the break, I will uh, welcome our second guest for today, uh, Nick, Linf- uh, Nick Franklin, who is the Executive Vice President of Strategic Operations at KB Home, but has a long Experience I've worked at Disney in quite some leadership positions. Um, my name is Christian Terbish. You're listening to Work of Tomorrow, powered by the Wharton School. Here, uh, come back after the break.
0: You're listening to Work of Tomorrow on Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School. Here again is Christian Terbish.
2: Welcome back from the break. I'm Christian Terbish, and this is Work of Tomorrow on Business Radio here on Sirius XM. Today we've been talking about uh, digital user experiences and what technology does to really uh, create a whole new set of user experiences for us as customers to enjoy. Uh, To continue this discussion, it's my great pleasure to welcome Nick Franklin. Nick has uh, worked as an executive vice president of uh, Next Generation Experiences at Walt Disney Parks and, among other things, was uh, the brainpower behind the Magic Band, Magic Plus. And it's my pleasure to welcome you on the show, Nick.
1: Thank you. Glad to uh, have a chance to speak with you.
2: So, Nick, uh, tell us about uh, digital user experiences. So when people come to the park today, what is different compared to when we went as kids some um, 20, 30 years ago or longer? I mean, what is the more, what's the next generation user experience right now?
1: Well, I think there are a couple of different ways to answer that question. the The simple answer to that question is 20 or 30 years ago, we didn't have cell phones. We didn't have the entire digital ecosystem that all of us use in our everyday life. And so we would go into the theme park and we would just step into that world. And as Walt said back in the day, you know, leave the real world behind and step into a world of fantasy. And, and um, now, because of the ubiquitous nature of technology, we all have a little bit of that connection to fantasy and other parts of the world of experience that travels with us all the time in our mobile devices. And so I think what you'd see coming in today is that the folks who are still stepping into these fantasy worlds are bringing more of their everyday real world with them Um in the form of their devices. They use them as organizing devices. They use them as cameras. They use them to communicate. Um, And in many ways now to also enhance the experience of what's going on around them. And so you would see people now in the park looking at their device, primarily because they're figuring out what the wait times are for certain lines without having to go to those rides to find that out or seeing what their next fast pass is in the case of someone visiting Disney. So you see a lot of that, but you'll also see people walking around the theme parks on a Sunday checking their fantasy football scores. So part of the digital experience now is that we are so used to having our digital security blanket with us that from a theme park standpoint, if you force people to step away from that, you actually increase their step stress level and make it harder for them to enjoy the theme park experience. So you know, just having Wi-Fi and letting people continue to manage their everyday life the way they always have helps them. So I think the digital experience is a combination of things that are part of the theme park experience and part of just everyday life entering into that theme park experience.
2: Given how much we are, used to digital technology and, as you said, how much we're used to some form of magical experiences from our homes now. Did the bar, was a bar put higher for theme parks now that uh, there's something really magic that you have to provide? It it still seems to me that the one thing I cannot get at home is being kind of blown away on a roller coaster and have that kind of the more haptic, the more mechanical experience, uh, which is ultimately not a digital one. Are Are still the roller coasters, the rides, the the, the more main value proposition
1: I, I think you get a combination of things that the theme park provides certainly there's a connection to the three-dimensional embodiment of the stories that you're familiar with so yes you can be sitting at home and you can watch uh, Frozen and see Princess Anna Princess Elsa but there's a big difference between that and going into a theme park and as a six-year-old girl being able to go up and give Elsa a hug. Um, so there, I think there is, that's another version of the haptic visceral, visceral um, that's not just the thrill side of it. I think there is a just a physical, tactical piece of it that the theme park provides. It certainly also provides the thrill. I also think there's a piece of it, and it's the reason that people still go to the movies, even though many people have giant screens and fantastic digital imagery and sound systems in their own home, there's a social dynamic behind it. At at the end of the day, humans are social creatures, and we get value out of the shared experience. And so part of a roller coaster being exciting is the physical senses that you fear you feel but part of it's also the thrill of having other people around you yelling and screaming and you know the, the analog to the movies is if, if you go to watch a, a horror movie and you watch it by yourself obviously if you're home alone in a dark room it can be really creepy but if, if you're <laughs> in a movie theater what really heightens the tension is is everybody else's palpable anxiety around you and the gasps and the screams when things happen, it's been shown that that actually elevates the perception of the experience. Um, And if you do it with a comedy film, people in a group laugh more at a comedy than they do when they're by themselves. And that's evidence of the social nature. And I think theme parks provide a dynamic social environment that also, and it's enhanced by visceral experiences, tactical experiences. So that's what takes it beyond purely digital. And I think the future of experience is the more an increasingly seamless blending of digital, physical, and visceral and emotional, right? It's, it's the more those things all come together, again, as, uh, as the previous... Guest said the technology should ultimately disappear, and it just becomes part of enhancing this experience that you're feeling and experiencing on a lot of different levels.
3: Hi, Nick. that's is uh, Thank you for for joining us again today. Um, just let's probe that a little bit further. The last point that you made, because I think that was very interesting. Kind of on the one hand, we're saying it's almost old school, right? <laughs> it's the it's the community, it's the joint experience. That's the great thing. And then on the other side, we have the uh, hyper-customization down to the you know personal level and, and making sure you have a great experience. And, and as you said, kind of you know joining these two things. So right now I see them as very distinct ones. So can you tell us a little bit more of how you kind of try to blend these uh, or how, how we might blend this in sure. the future?
1: Sure. So, um, and this is sort of the platform that I use in the work that I do advising companies and, and helping to take brands to the next level. It used to be that a great experience really was delivered by a physical environment and by fantastic people, right? It was the cool bar and the bartender who recognized you when you came in and would slide your drink to you without you having to order. It's the beautiful hotel with the fantastic concierge who sees you come in with your husband or wife and immediately lets you know that a dinner reservation has been made for you because they know that you're here to celebrate your anniversary, and they know the restaurant that you have gone to in the past, and it was all based on the physical environment you came into and the people that were there. You then started to get the introduction of the capabilities of the digital world, and it started really with data analysis and big data, and probably the most sort of pervasive example of that that everybody's familiar with is Amazon and their recommender engine and the fact that they uh, watch your behavior and they look at the behavior of others and you get this big data set and so they can start to offer up things to you that they think are going to be interesting to you of value to you it's using predictive analytics to suggest even though I may not know everything about you I may not even know exactly who you are but I know that you're like these other people and here are the things that they've liked. So that becomes sort of the third leg of the stool. If the physical environment is the first leg of the stool and the people is the second leg of the stool, the third leg of the stool is predictive analytics. And what you now have is the fourth leg of the stool, which is the ability to marry that with contextual awareness. And that's where things like the magic band what's now available in most smartphones, ubiquitous with uh, Bluetooth low energy beacons and things like that is the ability to place an individual in a time and a space that's contextual to where they've been. And the contextual example that I give you is when I check into a hotel, if I'm traveling by myself on business, that's one version of myself. If I check in with my wife, same hotel, that's a different version of myself. If I check in with my wife and kids, that's yet a third version of myself. But it multiplexes further than that when you start to think about the daytime or nighttime. Did I get off a plane or did I drive in? Is it rainy or sunny? All of those factors start to dictate what is my headspace and what kind of experience am I looking for? And ultimately, if you have the physical environment, the great people to activate it, some level of predictive analytics and that contextual awareness, you now have the platform for great experience creation. And because to create a great experience, I need to be in a place. I personally believe that there is a level of physical space that always will enhance, but you can start to do it with some AR and VR as well. Um, Although I think those things married into the real world are even more powerful. So you need a place, you need the people to pull it off, you need to have a sense of what kinds of things do I want to put in front of you, and then I filter that through the contextual awareness. That's the experiential platform, and the companies that can really do that, can really pull those things together, have the ability to truly differentiate themselves. And I think you're starting to see that predominantly right now in some of the theme park experiences. You're seeing a lot of it in the cruise business a fair amount of it in the hospitality business, but I think you're going to start to see it more in food and beverage. I think the retail companies that really start to figure it out are going to make uh, amazing differentiation for themselves, and uh, that's where I think it starts to get really exciting when you pull all those things together on that experiential platform.
2: Nick, one of the many things that is great about having you as a guest is that you think about technology really there to serve a customer, to provide a better experience. And so let's think this thought f- a little further, right? If I think about many other service experiences, uh, so I myself doing a lot of work in the in the healthcare industry, where again experience is so critical, but obviously typically dramatically less fun than what you have in theme parks. In case you're just tuning in, uh, you're listening to Work of Tomorrow here on Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School. I'm your host, Christian Tevish, and it's my pleasure of chatting with Nick Franklin, who is the Executive Vice President of uh, Generating Experiences at Disney Theme Parks. Um, tell us a little bit uh, from uh, what you think that, that this platform framework that you just introduced, uh, how that could be applied to something like a hospital to provide a, a better patient experience.
1: Well, I, I think you picked probably the perfect example. Um healthcare is a business and a set of experiences that are desperately in need of enhanced experiential delivery. Um you know you if you think about it when you show up at an emergency room with a problem unless there is clear trauma that they are going to treat, right? You're bleeding. Um, You're unconscious. Um, If you just show up, the first thing that they often make you do, and any time you show up at a medical facility, new doctor, whatever, what's the first thing that they make you do?
2: Well, you have to register and show your insurance card, right? Um, Right.
1: You've got to to fill out a bunch of forms, right? And those forms, all of them have 95% of the same information, right? They have your name, your address, your social security number, your uh, emergency contact details, and your insurance information, right? There's absolutely no reason why I should have to fill that out every time other than the fact that the experiential components in the healthcare business are fragmented and separated. And yes, obviously there are concerns about data protection and data security and all of that, which need to be addressed in any environment but fundamentally the problems that exist in the healthcare system are that the ambulance company is run separately from the hospital which is separate from the doctors who are their own corporations uh, and you know all of those it's like in a company every division has its own P&L, and so you wind up having to walk through the organizational chart of the business in this case you have to walk through the organizational chart of the service providers. Um, I think there is an ability to leverage technology so that the, the simple hassles can start to go away. I, I never forget when I went in for surgery on my knee, I was getting uh, a small meniscus repair in my right knee. And as they were putting me under and wheeling me in for the procedure, they took a big black magic marker and wrote on my left leg, not this leg.
2: <laughs> well, we're right? happy that they picked the white right one, but it, it is the, remarkable it how right
1: n- one, but th- th- that shouldn't have that shouldn't have yeah. to be that
2: way. Well, it's remarkable how Mickey Mouse is able and willing to identify us and remember us as a person, but our healthcare system is not, right? I mean, that that is just as you would describe it. Is is just a a shocking contrast between what is possible and what is happening. Um, well,
1: but, but it's, it's not as simple as, I mean, let, let me go back to the Disney experience. One of the challenges that we had at Disney is that the ticketing system and the hotel reservation system and the park operations systems were all separate. They were all different. And when we started the Next Generation work, If you had a ticket issue, the the highest organizing principle was the ticket number. And your hotel reservation, the highest organizing principle was your hotel reservation number, which meant that if you married a ticket to a hotel reservation and then changed the hotel reservation, the connection to the ticket would go away. And what we had to do was create another layer that set the individual as the highest organizing principle and have the ticket number and... The hotel reservation and everything else that they had done be subordinate to that individual. And I think the exact same thing is true of the need on the healthcare side. We need to get the healthcare system to a place where the individual is the organizing principle, almost regardless of where they go and what they do and what they need to have happen. But obviously, to break that down is incredibly complicated.
2: So since this is Business Radio, I was wondering if there are particular, say, a particular method you could advise us to use. So one, one organizing principle you already articulated is really to think about the customer as the entity as opposed to like an encounter at a particular service provider. Um, but are there any frameworks, tools, or methods? Is there one which you found like you were using over and over again in this mapping of the user experience potentially across multiple channels?
1: It it always came back for us to starting with the customer and who were the, who are the categories of customer? What are those customer journeys that you are trying to provide for? Whether you're an entertainment provider or a healthcare provider or a retail business, right? If you are uh, a retail business that sells sports clothes, you need to think through who are my customers and then what do they need and make sure that at every touch point along the journey of the customer experience, you're going through a process that says are we doing this because it's adding value to the customer experience or are we doing this because we need it for our own processes and systems? And if it's internal, we need it for our own processes and systems, you have to then ask the question, why and what can we do about it and how can we get it out of the way? And, um, you know, it's very, its I will tell you, it's, it, it's very difficult because companies also have to operate. And they have organization structures and they have P&Ls. And, and the customer, to really deliver on the customer experience, you need to break across all of that, um, which takes very, very thoughtful and intentional top-down management and leadership to break those silos down and make the customer the center point. But in my experience, that is the, the ultimate organizing principle is the customer.
2: So a combination of customer journeys, picking up their pain points, and, and really understanding that for different personas, really, different journeys and pain points might be relevant. Uh, Nick, what's going to happen in five or 10 years? How, how does this kind of experience with technology, what's the next big thing?
1: Wow. Well, if, if I really knew what the next big thing was, I'd have a you know, multi-billion dollar startup in Silicon Valley. And um, as evidenced by the fact that I don't, I don't know that I know what the next big thing is. I can tell you what I believe, the migration that you're seeing in continually towards this idea of experience. It's moved away from stuff and it's moved to people really wanting to have impactful meaningful experiences for themselves with their family with their friends and so i think you're going to continue to see technology evolve to enhance the ability to deliver experiences but i do think the technology is going to become less and less obvious and more just part of how we interact um the movement towards more effective voice command, whether it's the Amazon Echo or uh, the Google system or Siri for Apple, um, the, the voice-driven, gesture-driven uh, use of technologies. Again, for me, it's about connecting the context of what do I want and what's going on with ideas about what might be productive and exciting with great people in great places. And uh, I think you're going to see less, there'll be iterations where we go through using new technologies to do things that we've already done, but I think you're ultimately going to see pieces come together uh, where entirely new modes of storytelling and experiential platforms come through. Sarah, so, you Nick know, Franklin.
2: Real. So, sorry, Nick, I have to cut you off. I'm getting, That's speaking very, of I the gesture, well. my producer gives me the sign that we are running basically exactly. on the last 20 seconds. Uh, you've All been right, listening to the work of tomorrow here on Business Radio, Sirius XM. Let me thank our sound expert, Dion, and my producer, Matt, for the wonderful support. We hope you can join us again this coming Monday at 5 p.m. Eastern. I'm Christian Tevich. Thank you for listening.